a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful and a little lonely. Come on in for an evening of poems and stories about the American West. A land of legend, of romance, of friendship and courage. A motherload of remembrance. A true showcase of the Old West with the old cowboy, J.C. Holsey. For those that didn't recognize that song, it was a star-spangled banner, the national anthem of the United States of America. There's great land that we live in and enjoy. Welcome to this episode of the Wild West Showdown, folks. Have you ever stopped and realized how extremely lucky we are to live in the land of the free and the home of the brave? Oh, I know there's many folks that tend to disagree with me about that. But they're just disgruntled folks that haven't realized the freedom that they have to disagree is because they're living in this great land of ours. Now let's listen to a special selection of the Star-Spangled Banner. There was a lawyer once. His name was Francis Scott Key. He penned a song that I'm sure you're aware of. You've seen it. It's in most hymnals throughout our churches. It's called the National Anthem. It is our song as an American. We go, however, to a ball game, we stand in our church services and we sing the words of that song and they float over our minds and our lips and we don't even realize what we're singing. Most of us have memorized it as a child, but we've never really thought about what it means. Let me tell you a story. Francis Scott Key was a lawyer in Baltimore. The colonies were engaged in vicious conflict with the mother country, Britain. Because of this conflict and the protractedness of it, they had accumulated prisoners on both sides. The American colonies had prisoners and the British had prisoners. And the American government initiated a move. They went to the British and they said, let us negotiate for the release of these prisoners. They said, we want to send a man out to discuss this with you. They were holding the American prisoners in boats about a thousand yards offshore. And they said, we want to send a man by the name of Francis Scott Key. He will come out and negotiate to see if we can make a mutual exchange. On the appointed day in a rowboat, he went out to this boat and he negotiated with the British officials. 
and they reached a conclusion that men could be exchanged on a one-for-one -one basis. Francis Scott Key, jubilant with the fact that he'd been successful, went down below in the boats, and what he found was a cargo hold full of humanity, men. And he said, men, I've got news for you tonight. You're free. He said, tonight I have negotiated successfully your return to the colonies. He said, you'll be taken out of this boat, out of this filth, out of your chains. As he went back up on board to arrange for their passage to the shore, the admiral came and he said, we have a slight problem. He said, we will still honor our commitment to release these men, but it'll be merely academic after tonight. It won't matter. And Francis Scott Key said, what do you mean? He said, well, Mr. Key, he said, tonight we have laid an ultimatum upon the colonies. Your people will either capitulate and lay down the colors of that flag that you think so much of, or you see that fort right over there, Fort Henry? He said, we're going to remove it from the face of the earth. He said, how are you going to do that? He said, if you will, scan the horizon of the sea. And as he looked, he could see hundreds of little dots. And he said, that's the entire British war fleet. He said, all of the gunpowder, all of the armament is being called upon to demolish that fort. It will be here within striking distance in a matter of about two and a half hours. He said, the war is over. These men would be free anyway. He said, you can't shell that fort. He said, that's, that's a large fort. He said, it's full of women and children. He says, it's predominantly not a military fort. He said, don't worry about it. They said, we've left them a way out. And he said, what's that? He said, do you see that flag way up on the rampart? He said, we have told them that if they will lower that flag, the shelling will stop immediately. And we'll know that they've surrendered. And you'll now be under British rule. Francis Scott Key went down below and told the men what was about to happen. And they said, how many ships? He said, hundreds. The ships got closer. Francis Scott Key went back up on top and he said, men, I'll shout down to you what's going on as we watch. As twilight began to fall and as the haze hung over the ocean as it does at sunset, Suddenly, the British war fleet unleashed. <clears throat> he says the sound was deafening. There were so many guns that there were no reliefs. He said it was absolutely impossible to talk or hear. He said suddenly the sky, although dark, was suddenly lit. And he says from down below, all he could hear the men, the prisoners saying was, Tell us where the flag is. What have they done with the flag? Is the flag still flying over the rampart? Tell us. One hour, two hours, three hours into the shelling. Every time the bomb would explode and it would be close to the flag, they could see the flag in the illuminated red glare of that bomb. And Francis Scott Key would report down to the men below, it's still up. It's not down. The admiral came and he said, your people are insane. He said, what's the matter with them? He said, don't they understand this is an impossible situation? 
Francis Scott Key said he remembered what George Washington had said. He said the thing that sets the American Christian apart from all other people in the world is he will die on his feet before he'll live on his knees. The Admiral said, we have now instructed all of the guns to focus on the rampart to take that flag down. He said, we don't understand something. Our reconnaissance tells us that that flag has been hit directly again and again and again, and yet it's still flying. We don't understand that. But he said, now we're about to bring every gun for the next three hours to bear on that point. Francis Scott Key said the barrage was unmerciful. All that he could hear was the men down below praying. The prayer. God keep that flag flying where we last saw it. The sunrise came. He said there was a heavy mist hanging over the land, but the rampart was tall enough. There stood the flag completely nondescript in shreds. The flag pulled itself was at a crazy angle, but the flag was still at the top. Francis Scott Key went aboard and immediately went into Fort Henry to see what had happened. And what he'd found had happened was that that flag pulled and that flag had suffered repetitious direct hits. And when it had fallen, but men, fathers, who knew what it meant for that flag to be on the ground, although knowing that all of the British guns were trained on it, walked over and held it up humanly until they died. Their bodies were removed and others took their place. Francis Scott Key said what held that flagpole in place at that unusual angle were patriots' bodies. He penned the song, Oh say can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming. Or the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that the flag was still there. Oh say, does that star-spangled banner yet fly and wave o'er the land of the free and the home of the brave? The debt was demanded. The price, it was paid. Oh, say, can you see by the dawn's early light what so proudly we hailed at the twilight Whose broad stripes and bright stars through the pale moon 
Wasn't that something special? How about a little cowboy poetry? This is one penned by Greg Burdick entitled The Barn. It was about 80 or 81 when she is done. Proudest day of Grandpa's life, he said. He couldn't remember another one. Getting hitched and having kids was pretty exciting. But knowing your team hay and grain will be safe from rains, well, sure makes the worry enlightening. The stories that old barn holds, I was lucky to have heard a few Grandpa had told. 84, Ruby was born that year. That little gal spent nearly every day in here. Mama, she had chores that need done. Cows to milk, chicks to feed, couldn't always be with the little one. One day I reckon Ruby was about four months old. Mama come to check on her, and lo and behold, couldn't find that gal. Wasn't where she generally would play. Pretty soon, though, she came a-crawling out of a stack of hay. Over yonder, she took her first step, right there by that stall. Her little giggle and great big smile? <laughs> well, that just beat all. Eighty-six, my first foal was born in here. I reckon looking back, me and Ruby was grinning ear to ear. Eighty-seven was when Bert was born, I guess. Ornery is dirt and always in some sort of a mess. I remember Grandpa saying there was one time Bert was little and climbed to the loft. Made it up somehow, but come down he wouldn't climb. 89 rolled round, had a heck of a dry spell. The old pond went dry and I had to bucket water from the well. Stock had gotten pretty thin that year. Hay and grain short, made for worrying about winter being near. Dry and cold wind, never paused, it seemed. Every week a cow lost, thought it's going to be the end of the dream. Spring came round, and the rains finally come. All those nights of praying, while sitting with a calf, turned near every night. The good Lord answered, but we somehow won that fight. Yeah, that old barn, if she could talk, could tell many of things. If it weren't for her all these years, we'd have never made it. Old and run down she is, but she holds a lot of good memories. Without her, we couldn't have faced what life had to bring. This episode of the Wild West Showdown is brought to you by Arthur Seth Nation. Seth is one of Outlaws Publishing authors that have achieved a goal that many authors are wanting to achieve. He's written a bestseller. The title is The Devil's Brand. 
If you haven't gotten your copy yet, I reckon you ought to go over to Amazon and get one right now. Now let's visit with our guest. We want to welcome to the Wild West Showdown today, Arthur Courtney Killian. Welcome, Miss Killian. Hi, thank you for having me on. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you were born, where you grew up, and where you're living now. All right. Well, I was born in Fort Worth, Texas. I have actually lived just south of Fort Worth my entire life, and that's where I am now. So, yes. And where is here? It's just south of Fort Worth. It's in this tiny community called Rendon. What's the name of it? Rendon. Rendon. Okay. Yeah. It's one of those places you've never heard of unless you've lived here. I've I've driven through Rendon many times. Of course, I blinked and didn't see a whole lot. (laughs) That's how it is. Oh, you're 21 years old, you said? Yes. You're probably the youngest Arthur that I've ever interviewed. That makes you special. I know all the young men in the audience want to know if you're involved with anybody. No, actually, I just got out of a relationship, and so... Right now, I'm just kind of taking time for myself and not really looking for anyone. But if the right man comes along, then we'll see how it goes. Sure. That's the way to do that. How does your family and friends feel about you being a published author? My family didn't really support me a lot throughout the whole time. I think they felt like it was just a pipe dream, what never come true. Then once they saw that it was actually published... But then my friends have been supportive of me from the beginning. Oh, yeah, that's so awesome. Yeah, follow your dreams. And they've actually bought, some of them have bought the book. Some of them have come to my author signings and gotten it there. And so I get mixed reviews from both family and friends. How long did it take you to write this book? Oh, geez, I would say probably about two years. Two years? Yes. What do you think about people that take 10 years to write a book? I just say... If it takes you that long, it takes you that long. If your book takes 10 years to make it the best you can be, then go for it. Okay. How did it make you feel when you finally held that book in your hand and seen your name as the author? I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I was like, I really wrote this thing? (laughs) Um, You know, and I read through it again. I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm actually reading my work. Like, this is the kind of work that I would read from someone that I look up to. I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. It is an amazing feeling, isn't it? It is. What made you decide to take this jump to become an author? I've always enjoyed writing. I would make up stories and... I would tell people in these outlandish things, and in second grade, I remember we would have these journal entries, and they were probably supposed to be true. Mine never were. (laughs) And I actually got the award for best storyteller in second grade. Second grade. Yes. I just kept writing short stories here and there. It was never anything really serious, but then I just got this idea for this book about two years ago. In the middle of the night, I woke up with it, and I just couldn't go back to sleep, and it kept bugging me, and so I wrote for like two or three hours that night just to get this idea out of my head, and from there, it just kept going. You, you didn't get it out, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's a great story. I get woke up in the middle of the night many times. And if you don't write it down, you're going to lose it. That's true. Do you use an outline when you write? I've tried the whole outline thing, and it just does not do it for me. I just write whatever comes to mind. There you go. That's the way to write. That's the way 
I can't understand anybody wanting to tie themselves down to an outline. Yeah, I don't understand that. How much research goes into one of your stories? Not a lot, actually. I do a little bit of research. I make sure like the poison is right, or I make sure is this realistic, or or so not a lot of research goes into it, but I do enough to make sure it's accurate. Okay, great. You mentioned、uh, winning a contest in the second grade. Do you still have that story? No, I don't actually. I saw it one time recently, and I was like, "This is terrible," and I think it ended up in the paper box. <laughs> oh, you don't do that! Don't ever do that, darling. Don't ever throw any of your work away. No, keep it. Somebody's going to want to hear that second grade story one of these days from Arthur Courtney Killian. It's very important. Don't ever throw anything away. I think I actually threw it away before I got serious about writing. Okay. Realize now that I probably shouldn't have done that, but. Who designed your cover for you? My cover artist was someone named Nicole Rundgren Schmidt. She said that this was actually her first cover to do,、mm-hmm. and she did an amazing job on it. Do you have a favorite author? My favorite author would probably have to be Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. Yes, I've grown up reading her work. My grandmother introduced me to her at a really young age. That's great. That's a that's a good one to like. How about a favorite movie or TV show? My favorite TV show would probably have to be Bones. Bones, okay. Yes, I've watched that for the past several seasons. How about a, a movie? Do you have a favorite movie? That's a hard one. Yes, it is. <laughs> well, let, let's go this way. How about a favorite movie star? Favorite movie star. You know, there's so many that I like.、Uh, maybe like Sandra Bullock. Okay. What kind of music do you listen to? Oh, I listen to all different kinds. Mostly, what I listen to is country. Hey, <laughs> you're Texas then. You're a Texan. Yes, I'm a true Texan. <laughs> do you have a publisher? I do.、Uh, the name is Ibbylane Press. The owner is Kelly Fitzgerald. I have gotten to know her through just through this publishing company, and she's. Very personable.、Uh, she actually gave me her cell phone number, as I'm sure she does with all her clients. But yeah, it's a very different kind of publishing company. Just, it's amazing, and you're more involved, I think, in, than what you would normally be through like a big traditional publishing company. Okay. So does your publishing company handle your marketing for you, or do you do it yourself? They do it to an extent.、Um, like I'm in charge of actually posting about my book and all, but if Kelly sees that I posted something about it, she'll share it. I always ask this, but you've grown up with this new technology. I call it new technology. It's new to an old guy like me, but you've grown up in it. So, do you think you'd have been able to write a, a novel like you have if you didn't have the computer? Maybe. I've handwritten short stories before, and actually, one book I'm working on, I actually handwrote a draft. So yeah, I might have been able to do it. I don't know if I would have been able to market it as well, but yeah, I might have been able to actually write it out. Do you have any advice for somebody that wants to be an author? I always say one,、uh, start saving up now because they can tend to get expensive, and two. 
you may think you don't have time during the day, but you have time somewhere. It may just be like 10 minutes, it may just be 5 minutes, it may not even be that long, but whenever you just have a spare moment, just grab a pen and paper or turn your laptop on or something and just write whatever you have time for. In other words, just write. That's, yes. That's good advice. What are you working on right now? I'm working on a couple thrillers, The Path to Biological, which is about three girls trying to find their birth parents, but they run into some snags along the way, and The Child of Thought, which is about this little girl who accidentally shoots her mother with a gun that she found that her father forgot to put away, and the father gets blamed for it. And I'm working on another murder mystery, Bethany's Corpse, which is about this murder victim that can still talk. And I'm working on a romance novel, which I did not ever see myself working on a romance novel, but that's just how it turned out. Do You Remember Me, which is about this girl who is sure that her boyfriend is about to propose, but then a storm blows through and all of a sudden nobody remembers her. I'm also working on... A memoir called Living Through Abuse, which is about my time in extremely toxic relationships. And I also want to say I am part of a compilation called From Surviving to Thriving. It's a domestic violence compilation. And so, yeah, it, that's an amazing experience. So, yeah. Sounds like you're busy. I am. You know, somebody that's not an author can't understand how in the world you're doing. You're working on how many different stories at the same time? Yeah, like five or six. How do you keep them separate? It comes naturally, honestly. I can't explain how, but it's like I just get into the story. I just dive into this one story, read a couple pages up. Okay, where was I? Oh, okay. And then I'll just, <laughs> I'm just in that world from there. Okay, where do you get your inspiration from? Life in general, I'll see something and it's like, oh, hey, that would make a really good story. And all of a sudden, I'm in a completely different world. Uh -huh. My friends will get so aggravated with me because I'll be daydreaming of the story. They're like, Courtney, Courtney, yeah. did you hear what I just said? Oh, what, what, what was that? <laughs> How can folks get in touch with you? I know you're on Facebook. Are you on all the other social media sites? I am. Um, Facebook, of course, you can find me through my personal page, Courtney Killian. You can also find me through my author page, author S. Courtney Killian, and I'm on Twitter at scourtney94. Instagram is the same username. I'm on Google+, Plus, Courtney Killian, and I also have two websites, whatnottowriteandwritingtips.com and mylifeaccordingtocourtney.com. And also, I'm on the Positive Transformation Network. It's on Blog Talk Radio. And, or you can look up PositiveTransformationNetwork.com. I have a show called Work in Progress. It's on every Monday at 7.30 Central Standard Time. You're going to wear yourself out, girl. <laughs> I get that all the time. <laughs> so do I. So do I. Listen, we've enjoyed having you on the Wild West Showdown today, and I want to give you a special invitation to come back and visit with us anytime. All right, I've enjoyed it. All right, Ted. Now, here's another poem. This is called The Cowboy and the Lady, written by Tommy Heron. The cowboy walks up to the lady and he tells her, I've something to say. Though me and you haven't met yet, I'm going to marry you someday. So the young lady with a blush on her face tells the cowboy, just go away. I'm not going to marry you, mister. That's all I'm going to say. So the cowboy rides away in a hurry 
without even saying goodbye. But he turned around just wondering if just maybe he caught her eye. Sure enough, the lady was staring at him, and he turned back around with a grin, thinking I'll be back in the springtime, and I'll ask you to marry me then. Come spring, and he rides back to find her. The lady had stolen his heart. But when he got back to town, the news that he got was dark. Seems just yesterday morning, she heard that you were on your way, and she thought maybe a new dress to wear if he's gonna marry me someday. The town was very busy. When she went across the street, a team of horses broke loose and she got tangled up in their feet. We all tried to save her, but there was little we could do. Now the dreams that you had with the lady will never ever come true. So the cowboy steps back in the saddle and he turns to ride away. As he rides by her grave, he thinks, there's the girl I'm going to marry someday. Let's gather around for some cowboy wisdom. Now here's something you don't want to do. Never mention rope in the home of a man that's been hanged. This is the old cowboy saying adios and happy trails. Come on back next week to the Wild West Showdown with the old cowboy J.C. Holsey.